Hey listeners, quick question. Are you tired of overpaying for your mobile plan? I've got the answer. Ting Mobile. Ting Mobile is all about flexibility and savings. You only pay for what you use, no crazy fees or overages. It's perfect for those who want control over their phone bill without sacrificing quality. Say goodbye to bloated phone bills. Go to milwaukeemafia.com slash ting. Ting Mobile. Mobile that makes sense. You're listening to Milwaukee Mafia, your podcast dose of Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Milwaukee Mafia podcast. I'm Eric. I'm Gavin. And Gavin, we're back again. Yes. Off of the Dirty Guess Slots. I think that was the last episode we recorded, right? Dirty Slots we part We might have done something since then. I don't think so. Well, whatever. Because we had a re-record in the middle. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. So what are we moving on to today? Okay, so today uh, I've got uh, a story. It's not really even a story. It's like a biography about (laughs) a chief of police in Kenosha. Okay. A man named Stanley Hockdale. We're going to talk about Stanley Hockdale, and we're going to see who he was and... uh, Get get to learn a little bit about him. Get to be his buddy because, you know, when you're concerned with crime in Kenosha, the chief of police is kind of an important guy. All right. That seems fair, right? It does seem fair. How does it? I, I'm curious on how this is going to tie back to the Milwaukee Mafia. Seen as it is, yeah. Seen as they're not in Kenosha. Well, but. no, but now we're up to the '60s, so. The Kenosha and Milwaukee are all kind of one big thing from here on out. Okay. Did we discuss this on a previous episode? I don't know. Okay. Probably. Well, why don't we start (laughs) there? How does that... Do we know how this happens, or does it just kind of happen? I don't know for sure. My understanding is Kenosha was its own group up until about 1960, and then there was kind of a split where some of them were backed by Milwaukee and some of them were backed by Chicago. And the primary thing, like always, is gambling. But some of them are like financed by Milwaukee, some are financed by Chicago, and that would lead to some disputes. Yeah, I would I, I wouldn't don't imagine. really know what caused them to do that, like to not just be their own thing anymore. I, I bet you there's a lot of interesting stories around that because it, I just feel like that would cause a lot of chaos in Kenosha. It causes issues, for sure, yeah. Are we going to cover any of those? I'm sure we will. At some point? Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah, Kenosha's fascinating, and I don't think that many stories have ever been told about it, and I don't think that many were really captured, were written down, because they weren't... They weren't as investigated as much as I think they should have been. And is there a reason for that? Yeah. What is, <laughs> is that? Because I think I recall we had may have had a conversation some about this that like Kenosha never really had any FBI people exactly in Kenosha, exactly. and that's okay. So yeah. that's pretty much. So the there's reason. a Milwaukee office of the FBI. And then there's, in Kenosha, I don't know if it's still there. It's probably still there. But they have what they call the resident agency. And the resident agency in Kenosha had one guy. Yeah. (laughs) And his name was Bill Higgins. So this guy, like, 
he ran the whole thing himself and then you know sometimes he was asleep or sometimes something <laughs> else was going on so there was really nobody day to day keeping track of everything if if bill wasn't doing it so interesting all right yeah. well let's hear about this chief of police all right so we're going to i'm going to talk about this is called the rise of stanley hockdale the man's name is stanley hockdale it's just the rise <laughs> of the man himself stan the man uh, so he's born in madison uh, his father was norwegian uh, his mother was about as american as it gets like her roots go back before the american revolution so she's like super american <laughs> uh, stan marries uh, helen landis they have four children together so nice happy family he goes to UW-Madison. He's already married at this point, so he's married while he's in college. He goes to UW-Madison, and he becomes a star athlete. He letters in baseball, football, and basketball. He is a very popular athlete, and because his name is Stanley Hawkdale, they call him the Hawk. <laughs> <laughs> and that's true. That's not, that's not me being funny. He did end up uh, overextending himself uh, in one year where he had so many sports that he ended up failing history and economics. And then he had to, he couldn't, he couldn't play in the, in the big game because he didn't pass his classes. So that is some thorough research right there. Yeah. (laughs) I know. Right. Yeah. Uh, following graduation from college, he takes up uh, work as a state patrolman, state highway patrolman from 1942 to 1947. In September 1947, the Kenosha chief of police was a man named John Sullivan, but he died unexpectedly. So the position became available. And was, when you say unexpectedly, was that killed or was that no, just, uh, just no. on? really young and had a heart attack he wasn't he wasn't killed but just you know normally that's a job you retire from you know (laughs) you don't you don't die in office as police chief usually Mm -hmm. anyway so for months they looked into several candidates there were 34 people who applied for the job of chief and ultimately it came down to three finalists there was stanley hockdale of course there was a local police captain and there was a deputy sheriff. But they went and they put it to a vote, and Stanley Hockdale won by three to two with the police commission voting. Which is actually pretty good for only having been like a state highway patrolman for a handful of years to become a police chief. And it's to a be, big to, deal. And to beat out somebody that apparently sounds like was kind of high up already yeah. in the Kenosha Police Department, too. Absolutely. So. And the reason that a guy who's kind of like outside of Kenosha and not really like a high-ranking guy gets it is because they were afraid that gambling in Kenosha had gotten so bad it had kind of worked its way into the police department. The commission says, Hockdale's appointment marks the dawn of a new day for Kenosha and strikes a staggering blow to organized gambling and racketeering here. It also warns local protectors and payoff boys that Kenosha is determined to permanently cancel the easy pickings. So they think this guy's really going to make a change. Based on the way you said that, I assume he doesn't really do much to, to 
Oh, it off. oh, but he will. Oh. <laughs> oh, but he will. This is the rise of Stanley Hogdale. Man. This guy becomes the local hero. So first thing that he really gets noticed for is a few months on the job, he makes headlines for an incident where he's taking a bath. And while taking a bath, he hears tires screeching outside. So he jumps up out of the bath, throws on his robe, and runs out and sights a guy for circling the block in a reckless manner. <laughs> really? Yes. And it turns out this was, you know, it could have just been a kid squealing his tires, but it turns out this is actually a really good job because this guy was circling the block trying to scare his estranged wife. So, good job, Chief. Um, by September of 48, he'd been on the job for eight months. And they already started criticizing him for not shutting down gambling as quickly as some people hoped. Eight months, man. You had eight months to do it, and you didn't do it yet. Um, he said, hey, you know, sometimes there's other crimes, and sometimes those are a little more urgent. So I've kind of been focusing on that. Um, but he's like, all right, fine. So he personally leads a raid on a pool hall and confiscates poker chips, a gaming table, loudspeakers announcing horse race results, and other things. Twenty patrons were rounded up. Now, what's interesting about this is this pool hall is owned by a man named Ali Omara. And Ali Omara, um, I'm sure you know this, because I know you're a big sports fan. Um, he used to be a Milwaukee brewer. No, never heard of him. Yeah, I know you're a big 1940s <laughs> Milwaukee brewer, brewer fan. Just so you know, Gavin is being sarcastic, I think, when he says yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. So he follows this up after he raids this place. He helps raid uh, Frank Greco's uh, Kenosha Athletic Club, which was a front for gambling. Takes a bunch of gambling stuff out of there. He then helps raid the swanky gambling den of George Ebner. Um, when he goes in there, there's no patrons inside, so he suspects they got tipped off. But he was still able to, you know, confiscate stuff and, and book him for running a gambling place. After this criticism, he's like, okay, we're just going to start raiding places right and left. So he takes down a bunch of guys within this first year. Um, when there's a murder in Kenosha, he personally handles a lot of that. Um, one instance was uh, the attempted murder of Harry Nelson. Uh, Nelson had been shot by his wife, Jenny, who then turned the gun on herself successfully. Harry had to have a thirty-two caliber bullet removed from his scalp, but he survived. Wow. After questioning Harry, Hockdale noted there were conflicting stories going on here and wondered if things really happened the way that he was told. Was this really an attempted murder-suicide? Hmm. Doesn't matter. Not part of our story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Gambling continues, of course, and Hockdale uh, ends up catching three guys from Miami who are in Kenosha, and they're tapping the local racing wire. At this point in time, um, like horse race results come over like telegraph wires, mm -hmm. and they, they put a wiretap on there to get the results. And then they had this clever scam where one guy would have like a little walkie-talkie and another guy would have a fake hearing aid with a receiver in it. And they would say the results to the guy over the radio. Okay. So if the guy is inside of a gambling place, 
if they can get him the results faster than the gambling place gets the results, he can place. He can pick. place the bet. Nice. <laughs> so not only were these guys gambling, but they were also they're also wiretapping, which is not not cool. You can't be doing that. <laughs> so he ends up busting them. Um, despite these raids, this doesn't slow down gambling, and in fact, it it might even make things worse. Um, George Ebner, who had already been busted once, uh, ends up having a bomb placed outside of his his home um, that was put inside of a gasoline can. They hit a bomb inside of a gasoline can, <laughs> so um, that's probably not great. They did that. Then soon after that, um, Ali Omara, who we mentioned, somebody robbed his billiard hall. So, yeah, these guys are, like, now getting targeted. Possibly they're targeting each other. It's really hard to say who's doing this. So gambling is just getting worse and worse. Raids continue on into the 1950s. Same guys. Ali Omara again. <laughs> George Ebner again. Now uh, even including the the Lakeshore uh, restaurant on Highway 42. And that's interesting because um, it's run by a guy who is the father of a current state senator. Um, I will not name him. Uh, but, uh, I mean, the guy who ran it is dead. But but his son probably doesn't want yeah. to know that his dad was running illegal gambling rings. Right, right. <laughs> Things really bust wide open in October 1951 when a grand jury who had been investigating all this gambling indicts Sheriff Leonard Jensen for accepting bribes. So the police chief has been clean, but apparently the sheriff this whole time has been taking bribes from the gamblers and kind of looking <laughs> the other way. So that's not good. Um, one of the city councilmen was also indicted for um, trying to bribe Chief Hockdale for the th- $1,000 to go easy on gambling. Um, and then Hockdale took some pressure from the police commission after this came out, because even though he turned down the bribe, he had never bothered to tell the police commission that he had ben received bribe. the bribe, yeah, or you know was told about a bribe. So they're like, you know, she probably told, should have told us that people are trying to bribe you. But he's like, I didn't take it. <laughs> well, and shouldn't that person have been immediately arrested for trying to bribe him? Probably. I mean, yeah. I can't imagine that's legal, <laughs> you know, even if he doesn't take it. Right. Uh, following these guys getting indicted, the gamblers, who we've mentioned before, Ali Omar, George Ebner, and Frank Greco, are indicted by a grand jury for trying to bribe the chief. Um, and also with bribing two city councilmen, who they also tried to convince to then bribe the chief for them. So is it these three guys are pretty much running all the gambling in all of Kenosha? It seems like it at this point. These three guys are definitely coming up again and again. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if they've got the whole thing, but at this point, they're the ones who are always making the headlines. Mm -hmm. So it seems like if they're not, everybody thinks that they are running everything. So the first city councilman goes on trial, and the chief testified that the councilman tried to put $1,000 in his pocket and said, hey, you know, Ali Omara, um, uh, he's a friend of mine, and he's a good guy. So you should probably not bust him for gambling, at least not till after Christmas. I mean, <laughs> you know, let let him have Christmas. The chief was like, no. 
the councilman's defense was like, there's no proof that this ever happened. There's nothing here where you can say that I ever did this other than the chief saying that I did this. And it's well known that the chief and I have political differences. So if you could just be making up this whole story, I mean, fair defense, really. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I feel like I feel like that should hit the chief saying that it happened should hold some a little bit of weight. But yeah, well, it yeah. totally could be made up. It, def- it definitely does. But yeah, but what is the actual evidence? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. The jury deliberated for five hours. And was the city councilman guilty or not guilty? Not guilty. Is a trick question. They couldn't come to a decision. So it was a hung jury, and the state said they were going to retry the case. In the meantime, the other city councilman ended up being found guilty, and he was sentenced to five years in Waupon for a bribery scheme. So that's pretty serious. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Do not be bribing public officials. That's a big no-no. Uh, the trial came back around for the other guy. At this time... They decided, you know, we're just not going to be able to do it. They ended up tossing it out. So that guy didn't end up getting any jail time. Well, the other guy got five years. <laughs> That's kind of a unfair. Yeah, a bummer, bummer for that guy. 1954, Hockdale is again personally overseeing a murder case. This time, the beating death of a woman named Mary Worley um, by an ex-convict in a West Side tavern. She was bruised and cut in numerous places on her head and body. Initial reports did not release the man's name, but said he had served time in Green Bay for burglary. They end up getting that guy, now the murder solved. They do a much better job than Milwaukee, I would say. It seems like it, yeah. <laughs> Alright, here's a here's a bad here's a bad story. In Kenosha, between Memorial Day and Labor Day nineteen fifty five, so basically summer of fifty five. There were no traffic fatalities in Kenosha. Now, to me, that doesn't sound like that big of a deal. But nobody dies in a traffic accident for three months. But apparently, that was really good. So the state said, okay, we're going to give you guys an award. Congratulations to the people of Kenosha and the police for monitoring traffic and going the entire summer with no traffic fatalities. Fantastic. But on the day that they announced that this award would be handed over. They got like a five-car pile up and everybody died, didn't they? <laughs> Three children ended up dying in traffic accidents within 48 hours. What? One 14-year-old boy named Robert Lucas was hit by a car while on his bike and went flying into another oncoming car. He landed face down and continued to skid, his face almost completely removed from his head, from his head by the friction. Oh my god. Um but they still got the they still got the award. So <laughs> they yeah. still gave him the award though. Yeah, huh? they still had a good summer. I, I would have loved to have been at that award ceremony. Like like did they just ignore the fact of everything that just happened and was like Yeah. Um, there's still some gambling investigations going on, but it seems like those big guys had kind of dropped off at this point, um, whether they're in jail or, or what, but they, they, they're not getting arrested as much anymore, but the late fifties, a big murder happens in December, 1958, when Kenosha nightclub owner, Arthur Molinero was murdered. Uh, his hands were bound by his own necktie and he was then shot. The case received a good deal of attention. Um, not only was it a murder, which gets good attention, but Molinero was from a well-known family. Um, members of his family were 
in the police department, lawyers. Um, one ends up being a well-known actor from the TV show Happy Days. So people knew who he was. Although any number of shady characters could have been involved, the suspect turned out to be Ivo Ivanik, a Navy man stationed at Great Lakes. He was turned in by his female companion. <laughs> uh, so you can't trust those people at at the Great Lakes Naval <laughs> Base. Yeah, yeah, you can't trust those guys. We get up to 1961, and at this point, Chief Hockdale has already been, he's entered into the FBI's uh, police training academy, what they call the National Academy, where you get special extra training on stuff. Um, so he's well-received by them, but then in February 1961, the FBI office shoots a memo to J. Edgar Hoover. It began with praise, saying that Hockdale was prominent in law enforcement circles and was a strong friend and supporter of the FBI. But then they pass on the story that Hockdale's wife was seeking a separation as a result of unsubstantiated rumors concerning alleged extramarital affairs. Uh-oh. There was another rumor that Hockdale may have been receiving as much as $500 a month from John Rizzo in order to turn a blind eye to gambling. And we did do a separate Yes, I was just going to say, I, I totally remember John Rizzo's name. And was he the one that was doing gambling down in Kenosha? Yeah, he's okay. he was primarily like a Racine guy, but he was mixing Racine with the Kenosha, Kenosha guys for sure. These rumors were of concern to the FBI because Hockdale had been a 1953 graduate of their National Academy, and if the rumors were true, he would have to be removed from the National Academy directory. Can't have cheap steak and gambling bribes. <laughs> In the FBI directory, huh? Yeah. Uh, they continue to raid gambling places, but yeah, now we're, we're seeing a change. It's not those same three guys. Now we're seeing John Rizzo, we're seeing Weezer Cavelli, we're seeing this next wave of guys who are more tied into the Milwaukee Mafia guys. Mm -hmm. So by 1961, it's switching over. It's not George Ebner, it's not the Milwaukee Brewers. <laughs> why there's this change, I don't know. But yeah, definitely, it's, it's, uh, it's gone over. And then, in June... 1961, Chief Hockdale asks his friend Sam Guerrelmo, and I'm probably saying that wrong, um, his, who was his friend. He says, I want to set up a meeting with John Rizzo and Weezer Cavelli. And this, is, this happened right after Robert Kennedy, the Attorney General, went on national television and made the claim that gamblers in Illinois were training in Kenosha of how to be how to run like craps tables and things like that before they went and ran them in Illinois. And the chief was not very thrilled mm. about this. He goes, it's a bunch of crap. <laughs> so he's like, I want to talk to these guys who I know are the local gamblers, John Rizzo and Weezer Cavelli. He asked them if the quote-unquote syndicate was involved in Kenosha gambling. And the two men told him, well... So we have a guy who works for us, and his name is Buster Balistrieri. He's kind of a big deal, but he's not a member of the mob, 
He's not connected to organized crime. And, and, it's all good. And I think this guy was in the John Rizzo story, right? And, he may have been. Yeah, and he's like, he was just nothing more than like a bouncer for them, right? Primarily, yes. But yeah. he's definitely a mob guy. Yeah. Um, the two men convinced Hockdale that the dice game was not as large as the police might believe. And from there on out, Hockdale said, all right. As long as you guys continue to be cool, I won't crack down too hard on you. I'll consider you to be informants for the Kenosha Police Department. Probably not a smart decision, but that's. <laughs> but he he decides that he's going to kind of work with them. So this this story is the rise of Stanley Hockdale. Um, we go from him being well received athlete to being the guy who's supposed to come in and clean up Kenosha. Um, he arrests the gamblers, gets them thrown out. He gets offered bribes, but instead of taking the bribes, he gets the people bribing him thrown in prison. So this guy is supposed to be the hero. And I want to end this at this point mm -hmm. because not to give too much away, but he doesn't really go much higher at this point. He kind of goes the other direction. I'm assuming that once he starts working with these people, it just gets all dirty and, and messy and and probably ends up getting kicked out of his position. He will get there, but but the short version is, is he's not going to be police chief for a whole lot longer, oh. and he's going to have to leave the state. Wow. All right, so I'm I'm assuming that there's going to be a second part to this, and that there will be, be a second part. In fact, we can. It's not immediately, but I can bump it up if you think we should. I think get it to should it. be the next episode. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, we can definitely. do that. That that only makes sense unless you want to leave people in suspense. No, nah, we may as well just do a part two on that right away, and so the next time we can do the fall of Stanley Hockdale. <laughs> so now, this is kind of slightly off the subject of the thing but i'm just really curious about this because so we're in the 50s here what would this kind of spread 50s to early 60s right yeah he's he's chief in 48 and we're wrapping this up around 61 so through that whole area era it seems like they're fighting gambling mm -hmm. non-stop yeah and my question about this is is that for some reason, was gambling just this huge thing back then, or why did the, do the, the do people like the John Rizzo's not exist today, or do they exist today? And I just don't hear about them. Um, my guess is that there's different outlets for it today. I mean, obviously we have we have the casinos now, and, and now and we and we have you know. Not here, but like in Illinois, we have like the off-track betting for horse racing. Um, we've got the state lottery. I mean, so if you want to gamble, there's a lot of legal ways to do it. But but you're absolutely right. I don't know that anybody, like, there's still gambling in bars, of course. You know, there's video poker and whatever else. But I don't know of anybody who's actually running like a craps table right. out of their bar or out of their house. Yeah, and... Like at in that this era, 
that we just talked about would would the Indian reservation casinos not have existed this, this yet? Not, they did not exist yet. Okay, so it could just very well be that aspect of it just kind of wiped it all out because now everybody has a safe, yeah. legal way to go and get Yeah, they're, they're a lot more recent than you probably think because I, I may be off here, but I don't think they really sprung up to like the late 80s. Okay. Like they're really pretty new. Okay. and But did at some point are we going to get to a level where it just seems like the gambling thing dies in in the Milwaukee Kenosha area yes and no i mean it's not always going to be the focus of our stories but even when frank balistri like the big bad guy of this whole podcast when he ends up doing his final years in prison i mean it's part of a gambling conspiracy that puts him away so so right up through the 80s like gambling okay. is still a big thing. So it, it seems seems reasonable that that the cause Indian casinos had a big part to do in, with that. Yeah, in I I think that's probably fair. Yeah. That's interesting cuz yeah, it just seems like I think that's probably fair because now like today when when mob guys get busted for gambling, it isn't like this. It's not like bookies and things like that anymore. It's not craps tables. It's because they've got like some online gambling website scheme that's like only illegal in some technical sense. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't know the ins of how it's a, <laughs> of on, how online gambling works, but apparently there's legal ways and illegal ways of doing it, and they do it the illegal way. way. But it's it's not like. There's not these clubs, these underground clubs like there used to be. Or if there are, they don't, you know. Yeah. And they don't it, get busted like they used to. And that's, well, and that's the other part of it, too, is is that I just look at it from the perspective of, is at this era in time, the government really wants to put a stop to this. Mm-hmm. So we hear about it all the time because they're constantly trying to bust down on it. Yeah. Whereas maybe this stuff still exists today. Yeah. But nobody cares, so... You never hear about it. Well, there's, I think there's both. There's definitely they cared a whole lot more. I mean, we've we've talked about it up to this point where, you know, certain versions of pinball were considered gambling. Yeah, and were yeah illegal, right. Which is absolutely crazy. <laughs> um, and this is about the time, 1961 is about the time when all the federal gambling laws went into effect. So this really is when it goes from being the states, some of them, most of them probably don't like it to being the federal government doesn't like it. So it's really like reaching the peak right about now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think, I think that's definitely part of it is that we don't care anymore. And everybody knows, like, it's not a secret. You can go to pretty much any bar in the state of Wisconsin and they've got like three to five video poker machines, which technically speaking are illegal, but nobody does anything about it. Like, mm-hmm. Like, we just don't care to enforce these laws anymore. And I don't know what that shift is, at what point society went from seeing gambling as, like, this absolutely terrible moral failing to just not caring. Well, and I think, I mean, it, it makes sense to me that you see you see these casinos pop up all over yeah. the state of Wisconsin or wherever you might be, and you see that 
oh my god, the world isn't burning down because these casinos exist. Right. And then so people just start to, it's just gambling. Yeah. You know? I, I myself am not a gambler. I don't really enjoy gambling very much, but I don't see a major issue with if you've got a gambling addiction yes that's bad yes that's bad but but if you if you don't have that problem i don't see there being like a real moral issue with gambling it's just i really i mean and there's so many things in life that run parallel to gambling that we don't call investing in the stock market in a way right it's pretty close to gambling you know right so it's it's very much like (laughs) yeah (laughs) So yeah, all right. Well, I that's really all I got for this one. Uh, I I can't wait to hear the yeah. demise of them. So yeah, I mean this this is a pretty straightforward one. I just before we got to the fall of him, I really wanted to kind of build up and make people aware that this guy it's it's not like oh some guy had a bad day. Like he had a solid career. He was very well respected. He was considered clean. Again, the great athlete thing, which has really nothing to do with being a police chief, but he had always kind of been someone that people admired. Yeah, it's it's not going to end up that way. Yeah, and I think it's really to to have both parts. I think is really interesting because you can see like he came into the office and he was he did he he took a run at gambling. He tried yeah. to end it, and now I think we're headed to a point where he's I don't I. I almost want to say he's giving up and saying, you know what? I'm just going to work with these people instead of fighting them because yeah. I can't win this battle. Yeah, we'll 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 see. I'll say I don't I don't want to give it away because it's not it's not where you think it's going to go. Oh, okay. It's well, not, this is going to be really yeah, interesting. It's not then. what you think is going to happen. So, so, uh, so, so we'll we'll see what happens with that uh, next time. Very cool. All right. Well, we do have some some small announcements we can make do we we do so okay so as of the listening of this you it it will have been up well before you anybody hears this podcast but if you do go to the new milwaukeemafia.com yeah the revamp is complete if anybody wants to send us an email and tell us that it looks like crap or looks beautiful we'd really appreciate it this is firm it actually works yes okay we have there were some bugs earlier today. Um, but, I fixed those bugs. Okay, okay. but it does. It, it's absolutely. I mean, I I may be biased, but I didn't design it, and I think I think it looks freaking beautiful. I think it's it's it may be one of the best websites on the internet. It's, it's pretty great. It looks really good. I don't know if I'd go that far, but but, but it, it is, does look pretty good. But it is really good. We've come a long way on on web design. It looks really good. So, and with the release of the new website, we're also going to be introducing a mailing list. Yes. So, you will see that pop up in the show notes. Uh, you can follow a link to get to the sign up for the mailing list, as well as you can just go to MilwaukeeMafia.com. And there's links all over the place trying to get you to sign up for the mailing list. So sign up for that. <laughs> what we're going to be doing, we're just going to kind of, we'll have a monthly newsletter letter that's going to outline the episodes that came out that month, as well as we're going to give you a sneak peek into what's coming out in the following month. And then um, a sneak peek of anything you're missing if you're not a Patreon member. Mm-hmm. So you can see that as well. And then we're going to have upcoming events that Gavin has yep. happening in the area. 
as well as we're leaving a little section in this for Gavin to just write everybody a little note. Oh, yeah? Keep you up to date on things that's going on in Gavin's world. Oh, that's nice. So, that's nice. So as long as Gavin writes that, that'll be included in there. Yeah. So. No, yeah. And, and this is, I'm really looking forward to the newsletter because I'm on mailing lists the same as anyone else is on mailing lists. And I know how freaking annoying they are. And so I'm not going to do that. I mean, it'll be, it'll be, you'll get your once a month, you'll, you'll get your updates and knowing what's coming up on the podcast, what events are coming up. If there's anything else um, that, that I'm involved with that's coming out, I'll put it in there. But yeah, like once a month, you're yeah. not, you're not going to be like, oh gosh, the third <laughs> time this week. Cause that's, trust me, I check email like everybody else. I know nobody likes those. Yeah, so. and, and don't worry, neither neither me or Gavin have enough time in our day yeah. to send you that many emails. Yeah. So So this isn't that kind of, it's not a spam list. This is strictly me writing something and no obligation on your part. So So All right. Well with that we'll wrap this episode up as always. If you enjoy the podcast, leave a review on your favorite podcast player. Go over to MilwaukeeMafia.com, check out that new website, join that Patreon. And Gavin, you got some contact info for him? Sure. Best way to reach me is milwaukeemafia at gmail.com, which uh, you can do directly or you could find if you go to milwaukeemafia.com. If you try to contact me any other way, you'll probably succeed, but no guarantee of me getting back to you half as quick. Please (laughs) use the email. Words of wisdom from Gavin. And with that, we'll wrap this episode up. We'll be back next week with a new Patreon episode, as well as two weeks with the second part to this story. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. All right, thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Milwaukee Mafia podcast. Join us next time for another look back at Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history.